Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Joining me on this week's show are Malcolm McMahon and Richard Hatfield from Greenheart Sustainable Construction and they walk me through some of the current trends in building methods and alternative building materials along with some of the potential obstacles that they envisage along the way and indeed what they encounter along the way. So from SIPs to prefab, to I-beams and hempcrete, and grand designs to passive houses, these two are on the ground, pioneering sustainable building construction in the real world. So it should be a great way to set the scene with construction technology as a subset of the prop tech movement. So let's hear from Malcolm and Richard right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Hi everybody, uh, once again uh, we continue our theme on uh, property technology for the Property Voice podcast and uh, I keep saying I'm excited to have you know people on the other end of the call today and indeed I am especially excited because we've got uh, Richard Hatfield and Malcolm McMahon from, uh, from Greenheart Sustainable Construction Online. Hello gentlemen, how are you? Hello. Yeah, we're well. Very good, thank you. Excellent. Obviously, this is going to be interesting because there's two of you. I normally do one-to-one interviews, uh, and I believe you don't really do them. So we're going to find our way through it. But don't worry about it. It's all going to be. It's all going to work well. So as long as you've got a system for, uh, I believe you have a system for answering the questions. That'll be perfect. But I'm looking forward to this because one of the um, aspects of uh, prop tech, this property technology subject that I'm kind of delving into in this series is construction technology or contact you know there's all these buzzwords isn't there but uh, and I'm particularly interested in things like alternative building methods and alternative building materials and this sort of thing and uh, you popped up onto our radar um, and I think you have um, perhaps nice positioning to do that but why don't you maybe just give us a little bit of background about yourselves and your company and what you do so that people have got a frame of reference if you like about where you're coming from and your knowledge in this area would that be okay? Mm, yeah I guess well I'll go first it's Malcolm here um, uh, I, I'm the sort of founding member of Greenheart uh, started back in the 2000s, um, uh, it sort of inspired by a few things. Always had an interest in things slightly left field, um, particularly ecology, you know, green politics. I spent quite a long time at CAT, Centre for Alternative Technology in Wales. Um, so I've had a backing, a background uh, there. Always been involved in construction of one type or another but was just frustrated and slightly bored with the way things were going with building. And um, so with a friend of mine, Bill Flynn, who was an architect, we set up Greenheart just, uh, I say, around about the year 2000, uh, with the express uh, intention of only doing um, green building, whatever that means. We, we, we wanted to 
get away from the mainstream, avoid refurbishment. And at the time, um, uh, the kind of green building movement was just where it started, but was gaining momentum um, on the back of things like the AECB, um, uh, who started by Keith Hall over in Wales. Um, he was sort of inspiring a lot of people to take more interest in how they were building and the materials they were using. So we were inspired by that and a couple of things we've been involved with in Bristol. We set up Green Art. And re- really, since then, we've stuck to our our intention of only ever taking on projects with an element of <laughs> green eco, whatever you want to call it, uh, building involved with it. Um, Richard uh, joined the company later, and I'll let him say a little bit about that. Hi, uh, Richard Hatfield here. Um, so we've I joined uh, maybe 10 years ago, something like that, um, and we've tried to expand a bit uh, into uh, beyond the sort of traditional uh, hairy, kind of slightly hippie green houses that uh, people used to think of um, into sort of more slick, well-designed, uh, super energy efficient uh, modern buildings that you'll see on our website. Uh, and um, we've gone from strength to strength, really. Uh, more people. Um, more jobs and very much enjoying the uh, the fruits of our earlier labour, I think. So we've got a bit of a reputation locally and uh, mostly stick to building uh, timber frame houses with uh, warm cell cellulose insulation and uh, first uh, finishes. Um, <clears throat> more recently, we've moved into the, the passive house world, where uh, which has become the latest buzzword uh, based on a probably the most efficient standards you can get for building come from uh, from Germany and um, that's uh, proved a challenge to begin with but we've, we've got used to that and uh, enjoying uh, enjoying that side of things fantastic well thanks for the introduction um, the you mentioned green and I just want to sort of get that out because um, green is good for society it's good for the environment <laughs> right obviously um, and so mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's, it's absolutely you know, a, a great thing that we're considering doing, but it's not automatically associated with the construction industry or indeed many other industries for that matter. So you know, I'm not just you know, dissing or labeling um, one particular mm. industry. Um, and of course, our audience are, are property investors and developers, and um, they're you know, traditionally known as people interested in, in profiting from profit, property. So you've got these maybe these two worlds um, of you know eco environmentally friendly, uh, good for the planet type of agenda, and then you've got this sort of um, uh, more commercial investment type of uh, agenda as well. But I personally believe that there's a marrying of those two worlds, um, and I think we've seen that you know come about in recent years with um, the Green Deal, for example. There was a good good example of that where you kind of marry improving energy efficiency in, in properties but at the same time so that's good for the planet but it's also good for the bottom line so i think i think the two worlds can meet if you like i don't think they're separate would you agree with that uh, it's richard here. i think um i would absolutely agree with that i think one of the fundamental problems is um it's uh upfront cost versus ongoing cost so to build a, a really energy efficient house undoubtedly costs more but over the long-term decades, um, you will save money. But if people don't want to spend the money initially, uh, you can get a cheaper building uh, without any of the uh, the green technology or 
you know, having a decent fabric. Undoubtedly, it will be cheaper without that. But uh, if you're looking at the longer term, then it stacks up. So, you know, part, part of the problem is you know, we deal with a lot of people who are building houses for themselves. So they're imagining being there for 20 or 30 years, and then it, it does stack up. As a, as a developer, um, you're interested in the, the raw build cost, really, rather than the ongoing running costs. Having said that, more and more housing associations are getting into passive house and low energy building because they can see the longer term benefits. And and the government, you know, leading on RHI and things like that, renewable heat incentive does have a big impact on on what people do and and the technology that you can put into into these things. Good. Well, so that I would have made a short conversation otherwise <laughs> without, without that answer. But in other words, it's kind of building the business case, as I call it. You know, so you've got spend more up front to recover, recover more over time. It's a business case. Um, so as well as it being, you know, green. So, uh, yes, we, we're on the same page in that respect. And I also think there's, there's some trends here. You talked about some of the government initiatives, for example. Um, you know, to, to encourage more green building, energy efficient. We do have, you know, issues. And so the idea of perhaps building a cheap box that you put out into the marketplace that someone can afford, but actually the person who li- ends up living there, whether it's a homeowner or a tenant, has got ridiculous heating bills, for example, um, or, you know, they're, they're gonna, they need to sort of spend a lot of money on maintenance and repairs. It's a kind of a false economy. Mm. But, so we... The, um, and, and, and the developers probably, it, it doesn't really work for them in the long run if they maintain the idea of just building cheap cheap things and throwing them out there because sooner or later it will kind of, kind of come back to them too. So we're all in it together is my point. Um, so, But I kind of wanted to pick up with you in this conversation some of those trends. You know, what are we starting to see? And um, you feel free. I kind of have it notionally in my head talking about alternative building methods I'd also have alternative building materials as two sort of key points I'd like to talk to you about. So why don't you just maybe pick up one of those you feel more comfortable with and just tell us, if you like, because if you've been going for over a decade, um, what have you seen that's that's coming in and, and has taken you know taken root, if you like, in the um, in the industry now, albeit in, in a relatively small way compared to mass production flats in city centres, so? Sure. I mean, maybe uh, timber frame is a good one in that um, you go to uh, most of Europe and, and most of the states and they build enormous amount of houses. Most of the houses out of uh, timber frame. And although we've shifted that way a little bit, um, you do see more and more housing estates built of timber frame houses and then faced in brick or stone. So they look more traditional. Um, but that, to my mind, is slightly missing the point. You know, a timber frame needs to be uh shown to be timber frame and it's it's great fast technology um you can get a lot more insulation into a timber frame wall than you can into a masonry wall so so why why line it with masonry at the end of the day to make it look like a masonry building um when it's when it isn't um and the so all that technology uh comes from europe um we were very slow to get to grips with that and uh, and we still are so um a lot of the products most of the products are made in europe still anything from sheet materials to insulation. Um, and so we're always at the, the end of the line. Brexit, I'm sure, won't help. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, in terms of cost of all those materials, uh, it's higher for us because they're all imported. Mm. Uh, there is no sort of home industry. And it's, it's, if we can get that to the point where it becomes more popular than, and they're then manufactured in this country and it would bring uh, prices down and uh, you know, some of them end up with sort of, month two month lead times on them 
which is uh, it's ridiculous when you're trying to plan a project. So there, there's some barriers to that, but timber frame is growing. I'd say that, uh, and it lends itself to very energy efficient building. So that's uh, on the on the sort of positive side, if you like. Um, on the on the other side, um, there's there's technology such as hempcrete, which um, which is a lime and a hemp mixture which you pour into a shutter, rather like reinforced concrete. Um, which has, has struggled to get, its, get itself going. And um, in our experience, it's a very tricky technology uh, and takes, takes a long time to dry, for instance. So um, very difficult to build a house to a, to a modern sort of pressured timescale to, to schedule uh, with a product like that. So it probably will only ever be a niche one-off product for the the, uh, the sort of deep green enthusiast, if you like, rather than a, a mass production system. Okay. Hi, um, Richard, it's Malcolm here. I think just following on from what our Richard was just saying, um, I think the things that will affect uh, uh, construction in the, well, what, that we've seen sort of uh, coming up and will affect construction for, say, the next 10, 20 years, I think is prefabrication of one form or another. Um, I mean, it's been around for a while. But I think it's finally um, uh, you, the prefab companies are getting their act together. So I think we'll see more and more of that, less and less, I guess, of the more bespoke, um, built-on-site, one-off houses. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we uh, have been doing for the last sort of 10, 15 years, is just building to order one house, two houses on-site. But even we're seeing there's a real advantage to having something made off-site, quality controlled, in a factory, dry, delivered to site, directed quickly, efficiently. Uh, so you know, for for everybody, there's a there's a cost saving there and, and other savings as well. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, so just pick up that last point, prefab. I mean, prefab. If you mention prefabrication, prefab. Of course, it's got this uh, mm-hmm. ring to it, hasn't it? From post-war, mm-hmm. you know, dirty, quick and dirty sort of building. But it's not like that now, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, tell us a bit about what you know, what prefab or modular building looks like today. It's not just these tiny, you know, horrible <laughs> sort of units that are going up necessarily, is it? Um, help help us see what, what the modern day prefabrication might look like, if you could. Well, again, we'll have to speak from our experience, which again, as Richard was saying earlier, is mostly timber frames. So we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of that. We don't, haven't had a huge amount of experience ourselves, and certainly in the early days when we were involved in a project um, uh, in the central pistol here, there was a, um, a lot of the houses there were, were um, uh, brought, um, were prefabricated off-site and then brought in, and they were of poor quality. I think that kind of thing is slowly changing. There are, often they were built to a minimum standard, and again, that's now changing. Where timber frame companies, particularly, are recognising that um, one of the advantages of timber frames, which I was saying earlier is that you can, you can use your whole structural frame for putting your insulation in. So they're now able to provide you with uh, different depths of frame in uh, 250 mil, 300, 400 mil frames, and often built of, um, uh, using I-beams, which is a sort of waste timber product. 
Uh, sorry, what was that, what was that name there? I didn't catch that one. Uh, the, um, well, they're timber I-beams. So the, the, it's an American Scandinavian product, or so FJIs, TJIs. So you have a center, it's essentially like a steel beam, but made out of timber. Ah. And it's a waste timber product. Yeah. Um, you can get them in, you know, almost any length you like um, and any um, any width you like. So the, obviously, depending on the the depth of your wall structure, if you wanted a 300 mil wall structure, you'd have a 300 mil I-beam. And that you can use that for your walls, floors and roof rafters. Um, we we have connections with a company in Midwell who are, who just set up a factory and making these. Uh, but it's all geared towards the it's all geared towards building well beyond um, current building regs. So rather than specifying something for the minimum, which is what building regs encourages us to do, they're they're in, they're, they're building to well beyond that. So they're sort of future proofing in a way. Um, the other the other ones, um, I guess, in Tim in terms of timber frame sits, which are uh, just structurally, uh, structurally insulated, insulated yeah. panels. Yeah. yeah, and essentially all these things are variants on the same theme. The as I said earlier, the advantage is that they are produced in a factory off-site. Hopefully, there's quality control, and it um, it what it enables you to do is is um, work in tandem in a way. So you, you, whilst your ground works and services and everything like that is being prepared, foundation work is being prepared. The the bit above ground, the frame, the structural frame, is also being made in the factory. That arrives, you know, hopefully on time, and uh, the whole process is a lot quicker and cleaner, and therefore better. We hope. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, I think that my understanding is, you know, with modular or prefabrication, you know, because of the factory environment, you should get more consistency. It should be less time on site. You know, uh, more accurate, etc. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're the sort of immediate. And obvious uh, benefits I can see. Uh, so less time on site. Yeah, you, know, you can erect a building pretty quickly um, once you've got, uh, yeah. say, the groundwork's prepared. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned um, hempcrete, and you mentioned obviously I beam and this sort of thing. But I, I, I was preparing yeah. for this, and I don't know how much um, of this you're kind of aware of. But there's a whole bunch of cretes, isn't there? There's ashcrete and timbercrete and obviously mm. you mentioned hempcrete so there's these variations effectively trying to find a more sustainable mm. alternative to concrete i suppose um mm. would you say that's an mm. emerging trend and what are your views on some of those alternative building materials uh we, well as we said earlier we've had some dealings with hempcrete as a product uh it, i think we would see them still very much on the fringe, really, and they just haven't, for various reasons, just haven't had an impact. You know, concrete, you know, love it or hate it, is a very useful product, and I think a lot of these other uh, materials have just struggled to to match what concrete can do, both in terms of cost, but just in terms of the simplicity and uh, ease of use. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also that people aren't having to relearn a skill you know if we use hemcrete for example there's there are varying issues with using it it's not you know it's not a structural material it's it's more of an infill material and it has you know it's got good properties in the sense that it's relatively green in terms of what it's made from uh that being hemp and and 
line, but um, but it, it's uh, it's a you have to use a lot of it to to gain your any value from it. So you're building a relatively thick structure to gain where where you could you could certainly build a, a thinner structure out of timber and using different insulations and get better values, new values that is. Yeah. Um, Ashcrete and timbercrete, I have to admit, I haven't come across those, but there are a few other um, creeds from various, there's a company called Timor in Wales, who are producing a sort of concrete substitute, which is a sort of insulant and uh, load-bearing um, uh, material. So, uh, you know, made, made, made mostly from lime. But um, again, we haven't had much many dealings with that because it often we're constrained by ground conditions, and you essentially have to. You're driven by the engineer, and structural engineer will often uh, drive that side of the project. Once you're above ground, I think it's simpler to then offer alternatives. When I looked at your website, I saw a phrase, and you mentioned it already in, the, in our conversation, which was passive house, and you know, passive house, English spelling, but also there was passive house, the Germans, German spelling of house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's a tech. I, I, initially, I got very excited because I'm a passive property investor, and I like to do things, you know, without necessarily doing things myself, if you follow. So... Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. Uh, but essentially, one of the things that's been appealing to me and um, is this whole idea of self-build, um, you know, building your own house. And you know, it seems to be an emerging trend. It seems to be things that you know, there's people um, uh, people can now do. There's a lot more support available for doing. It. There's more finance available for doing, etc. But of course, it's still still a fairly niche area. It's not mass mass building by any means, but. It is. It does allow people to perhaps take more ownership and control of their own uh, home and how they do it. And what I thought you meant by passive house, if because I said if I wanted to do do self build, I kind of wanted to do self build, self directed build. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I I'm not mm-hmm. actually doing it myself. I mean, sort of contracting somebody who does actually knew it do it, and I kind of direct mm-hmm. or oversee it. So mm-hmm. long winded way of getting you to talk about perhaps the self build. <laughs> Um, and, and what do you think about that and uh, perhaps how you may even dovetail into that sort of sector yeah well I think um, today I think uh, crudely speaking um, all of what we do really is self-build in that most people would define self-build as buy a plot of land and then find a builder to build it for you and uh, you you know you may have a little bit of involvement in project managing the peripheries but basically it's um it's it's not buying a house from a developer. It's buying a plot and and being in control of that, which is fair enough. You know, that's uh, in in Germany, for instance, when they when they allocate a, a bunch of land to a on the edge of a town for for new development, they will always give ten percent of that to to the self build market, and most of that is people employing the local builder to uh, to build them a house, which is great. You know, it means the local people are involved, and you get a bit of variety in design and. And you've got some control over how your your house looks at the end. You're not just buying one from a catalogue. So you could say all our houses that we build for for our clients are self-built. I mean, there's obviously the other end of the self-built world, which is people literally building it themselves, um, one piece at a time. Uh, which and that will always be very niche because who, who's got the time? If you've got the money to afford the plot of land and uh, get the mortgage to buy, you probably need to be working flat out to, to pay for it. So um, it's it's a very it's a rare thing. 
that uh, you know some technologies lend themselves more to that that self build, true self build, if you like, uh, than others. But fundamentally, to build uh, a building that's um, of any standard, you know, you do need to have a bit of knowledge, and you, you know, people can learn that slowly. But the chances are they make a lot of mistakes along the way, and uh, that's not really the ideal way to to build your house. But if you if you take so you kind of you probably do this self-directed building that I kind of uh, had in mind then, right? So um, yeah. I, I should talk to you if I want to do that. But um, it's, let's say that that's the case. I, I, can't, I find a plot of land and then I, I, I decide I want to do, I want to build a house on it. Um, you know, what are the sort of relative merits uh, and how easy is it actually to, to do that uh, in this day and age? Has it, has it changed in the words? I know we've got lots of planning issues, for example. The, uh, the planning laws um, clearly have been a bit more relaxed in recent times, but um, it hasn't fundamentally changed things. I think there's there's enormous demand for self-build in terms of, you know, there's a, all the self-build type programs on the TV and things. There's a lot of people dreaming of building a house. So whenever a plot of land comes up for sale as a one-off, uh, you get an awful lot of people interested. And the danger of that is it pushes the price of the plot of land up to the point where, um, it doesn't really stack up once you build a sensible house on it. So the chances are the, the cost of the building the house and the land and all your fees along the way um, end up being more than the house is worth. So it works in a rising market, as we've had in the last 10 years, um, because you know, the chances are the house is worth more than you thought it was going to be. But as soon as that stops, then it's it's a tricky one. You know, we really need the price of land to go down a bit because that's the biggest variable in there. Um, but that doesn't seem to be happening, and I don't think it will because there's such demand for it. You know, we live in a culture where owning your own house is very strong, and owning your own dream house is even stronger. So, um, it's uh, it's it's a very tricky market, I think. Yeah, I think you know it's the whole grand designs thing, isn't it? Uh, maybe um, sure. you know, um, and 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 that's and grand designs sort of probably don't maybe look economically viable at the beginning and. Uh, Maybe the design factor takes it into being more, you know, worth more later on. But drifting off, I think I kind of just wanted to get your view on it because my personal view is that probably planning laws restricts the uh, growth of self-build generally. That that would be my opinion. That would be my take on it. And you kind of highlighted that you contrasted with Germany. Uh, was it was it Germany? You said that they allocate ten percent of the sure. land for self-build purposes. So yeah. Yeah. we we don't have that um, luxury here. Um, we can debate it, but, but yeah, I think our planning laws are some of the most restrictive perhaps in the world. So I wondered what it was like. But perhaps if we take um, the idea of self-build to a, a, you know, a larger scale level, there is maybe another trend, because you mentioned housing associations earlier, and the whole idea of build to rent as opposed to build to uh, you know live in, kind of build to own, yeah. sorry, build to rent instead of build to own. Um, so mm. I suppose you probably get more economies of scale uh, if you've got you know larger plots and multiple units using uh, prefabricated uh, types of building techniques. Uh, I know that's not necessarily your exact space, but have you got insights into into that? Well, see more of it. Yeah, we dipped dip our toes a little bit into that, um, and absolutely, you do get economies of scale. And partly because you know you're instantly thinking along more pragmatic lines, and it becomes less of your grand designs. Um, how fancy can it look and more, you know, what can we get for our money and how's this really going to work? Um, in fact, we've got a project that's um, just coming out of planning permission now, 
successfully, it's taken a few years to get through, which is for a co-housing community who own a, an existing old house, listed house, in fact, and they want to expand. So they've just got permission to build 10 small units in the grounds of this house. So it would be a terrace of 10 sort of two, three-bedroom houses, basically. And um, that's that's for people who want to join the co-housing community. So it's it's effectively rent or, or a bit like a housing co-op, sort of if you if you remember you mm-hmm. you own it and uh, you can't own it unless you remember. And you, you know you can't sell a share of it. You have to if you move on then uh, uh, you hand it on to somebody else. But um, but that you know they're coming at it from a, a point of view where build it as cheaply as possible, but to a very much to a standard. So it will be built to a good standard. Um, so keep them simple shapes, simple boxes, and then probably some self-finish, which is also becoming a, a popular trend where you uh, you get the builder to to build you a waterproof airtight shell that's effectively finished from the outside, but then you contract your own electrician, plumber, plasterer, blah blah to um to finish it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can save a bit of money, less overheads, maybe save some VAT, etc. and and uh, and be slightly more in control with a slightly uh, less of a budget. So I think absolutely. I mean, look, you know, looking forward into the bigger picture of the, the lack of housing and investment, mm. you know, multiple units and um, so I'll finish for rent. I think is a, is a very uh, could be a very interesting way forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing that probably probably strikes me is that if you if you're if it's built to rent, uh, the by definition the the people who are going to own that property. Are going to have a long-term interest in that property, so they're going yeah, to commi- commission the build, and then they're going to be responsible for the operation and the maintenance of that building. So that possibly makes it more likely, let's say, that the business case that we talked about earlier of potentially spending more yeah. upfront to save more over time, it could be more prevalent. Let's say that we start to see alternative building materials and and, and different types of building te- technologies probably starting in build to rent more than even uh, build to uh, build to own would you agree that would be a fair yeah uh, yeah absolutely in fact we had an inquiry last year for somebody who, who bought a, uh, a an old building and wanted to build a block of a few flats on it it wasn't huge but it was something like 14 flats and they were very much going for that angle they wanted to to build something of very high standards low running costs um, provide a really nice environment for the for the tenants, albeit you know low rent units, they were small and you know designed for the people who didn't have a lot of money. But you know why shouldn't they have decent housing as well? So it was all it was a good scheme, but they were really struggling with the finance, partly because I think the the banks and uh, whoever else they're trying to get their money from uh, were struggling to see it that way. They expect a really good return on property um, over a short term, and if you try and do it differently, they struggle with that. I mean, there's absolutely a business case for it, but nobody likes thinking long enough term because it can, it can be 20 years, 30 years rather than um, 10 years. And that's um, everyone gets nervous over those timescales. Yeah, you, you hit another sort of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all for talking about these sort of new technologies and how we can deploy them and, and, and what benefits and usage that we they can bring to us. But there's a bunch of other stakeholder groups which kind of bring making it difficult to do that. We just identified it in the previous answer about planning, and now we're talking about the banks. You know, so they're very key stakeholders, which uh, can make our life a lot easier if we want to uh, expand these types of technologies, um, and they can also make it a lot harder as well. So I, I recognise that, and sure. you just kind of highlighted it in reality. The um, 
the other thing that I kind of was intrigued with is um, I know that you kind of um, you build new build, uh, and that that makes sense. And of course, you're going to see more uh, of this sort of new technology utilized in in new housing stock and uh, new builds. But of course, with existing housing stock, we have what we have, you know. Uh, but I, I noticed that mm. you you have done some kind of retrofit um, work yourself, and. Mm. Well, you know, how easy is it to do that and what, what's involved? So you've got an, an old house or building of some description and you want to improve it either from using alternative building methods or energy efficiency, etc. Are there ways in which you can do that in a, in a sustainable way? Uh, hi, Richard. It's Malcolm here. Yeah, I think there are. Uh, I think as ever, dealing with an existing building, Inevitably, there are more. It's it's more problematic. You haven't got a. You've got a slightly more unpredictable route forward. You you know you're not entirely sure what you're going to find. You may have damp problems, depending on the age of the building. You know, might not even be damp courses in there. Um, so our our approach though is 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 essentially always the same. That when you're dealing with a building, the main thing you want to be putting your your, all your effort and therefore your money into is, is essentially the fabric of the building. So not to get too carried away with the finishes, but if you can get that bit right, then you can spend time getting the internals right, even if that takes a little bit longer and you have to wait. But essentially with, you know, refurbishment, retrofit, whatever you want to call it, it is, um, it's problematic. And I think it has to be compromised and often huge compromise <laughs> because there are certain materials that you know we get a lot of inquiries from people who want to um, for instance um, uh, sustainably refurbish their building in Bristol with a huge amount of Victorian housing and you can do it but you would have to spend an enormous amount of money because the, the products you're talking about using are, um, are niche and therefore more expensive so you often you I would you know you'd end up um, um, it's it's where to spend your money wisely. So you know you'd start with the roof, get that nice and tight, weather tight, and then work your way down there. You know a lot of people in Bristol. You were mentioning the Green Deal earlier. Have gone for um, external insulation, and when that's well when that's done well, it's good. Uh, it's a good system, but when it isn't done well, it can it can actually work against you and um, present more problems later rather than solving problems. Mm-hmm. Um, window, you know, the, so the obvious things for us are get the roof right, get your windows right, look at the building fabric, and then maybe you'll start to deal with the walls. Um, if you've got cavity walls, you can do something with, you know, you can do something within the cavities. If you've got solid walls, then it's, it is it really is a little bit more problematic. And the danger is that you you start introducing all these new materials and you start sealing up the house and you create another problem um, <laughs> because you've turned a what was once a leaky Victorian house into an airtight, more yeah. um, uh, well a contemporary version of a Victorian house. And then you have condensation. I was going to say you trap moisture. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's not a straightforward procedure. And to be, we have done we've done several projects of that kind, but I would say almost always we the client has uh, um, has put the budget slightly to one side and 
um, and with the idea of um, doing the building more sustainably. Mm. They've, they've concentrated on that, and they're happy to overspend. But, you know, not everybody has that luxury, unfortunately. So I'm kind yeah. of detecting, uh, you know, there's there's been a few trends, but there's also a couple of obstacles. So um, and you can see improvements, timber frame. Um, you know, like you say, in the United States, a, la- a large number of properties are timber frame. But here, you know, you go and have a, you know, it's called a sort of a, uh, old, what's the word of looking? non-standard construction almost sometimes isn't it and yeah yeah often can you get yeah. valuation so i think there's a lot we need to change attitudes with and also regulations with whether that's the actual you know bureaucrats who set planning uh rules and regulations or whether it's more i don't know technocrats within banks or whatever who allow us to lend perhaps valuers to become more educated so I kind of get this, mm. this idea that there's a kind of a push and a pull, right? You know, there's a push of the mm. new technology and for, for good reason. And there's this kind of a pull, which is, you know, holding us back. A bit frustrating. But maybe that's, you know, I, I sense, and I've had a few conversations about the issue of prop tech. And I, I sense that is a growing theme, you know, that there's a push and pull. And we're not quite yeah. broken through yet. But maybe, I don't I think, think we're, I think we're time. Sorry to interrupt. I think no. we have a... We have a very conservative sort of, with a small C population who likes to see, imagines that house as being a traditional looking brick house. And we have a property, you know, most of our properties are built by big building companies and uh, that works for them. So they don't want, really want things to change. You know, no doubt there's a fair old lobby going on within government as well, like all big industries. And um, we, we don't seem to want to change as fast as most countries have changed in terms of new technology and new regulations we we lag behind and it's it is frustrating because there are a lot of good things out there and we've been very very slow to adopt them if at all yeah so uh, i don't want to finish on a low though <laughs> so um, maybe looking, maybe looking forward I, you know perhaps to sort of draw things to a conclusion do you what is your hope for the future if you like do you think do you think see things improving do you see a perhaps uh, not even not necessarily a great wave but you know um, steady trickle, let's say, of uh, of increasing use of alternative methods, sustainable materials, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's happened. It's happened anywhere over the last say twenty, thirty years. I mean, as Richard was just alluding to, we're still importing most of our sort of non-standard materials we import from somewhere in Europe, whether it be Scandinavia or Germany, Switzerland, Belgium, maybe. So we are lagging behind in that sense, but I think there is a there is a a desire from the general public to want to um, do things in a better way. And I think generally, I think I I am positive. I think things have improved. But, you know, building regs are are a kind of uh, it's a two way street, and I think they have tightened up their act. They they put pressure on the building industry to improve. You know, one of my bugbears, if you like, is that the building industry is incredibly deregulated and that you know there's there's advantages to that but i think also the building industry in terms of the people who work in it the on the shop floor as it were need to be more skilled and uh there needs to be more discipline with it and of uh, you know we're always looking towards countries like germany on a for a lead on that but i don't think you know i'm trying to end on a positive note as well i think things are looking up things have improved people are slowly getting their 
their heads around the the idea of um, if you build well and spend a bit more, you're conserving energy. And that's a plus, not only personally, but in a, a sort of wider context as well. I think, can I add as well, um, that uh, I think the prefab side of things is going to change the industry hugely, as Malcolm was saying earlier, in that the more we're driven that way due to pure economics, it's going to be cheaper and it'll be the only way to build, especially multiple units, um, in a very short time. And that will also drive design because, you know, prefab is limited by what you can transport around the place. So um, we will end up with some more interesting, unusual design and that will become become accepted. And I think that could be a sort of quite a radical point where housing starts to change a bit. Because I think there is this huge desire from the public about the, the wider picture and the uh, and their own, the wanting to live in decent homes at the end of the day. Well, I think they want to live in decent homes and they just want to live in a home and we don't have enough. So, um, you know, there has to be, you know, some radical changes if we are going to genuinely build all of these houses you know which we haven't done for quite some time so i think you know i, I agree with that sentiment that perhaps prefab can be a real game changer um, but i also think you know with the whole energy uh, agenda the green agenda that you know building more energy efficient homes in general and therefore considering alternative materials has got to play into that too so i sense we're kind of a bit on the cusp of a wave rather than kind of on the downward you know uh, on the downward uh, well, I think the government has to grab that as well and, and um, incentivise in different areas, which they they did well for a while with you know PB and things like that, and it worked. It did. I agree with you, and I think they they probably are you know uh, mindful of that. Fourth bit of innovation. Indeed, indeed. So, so gentlemen, is um, is there anything that you kind of you feel I should have asked you about that I haven't? Uh, perhaps going to draw to a close in a second and maybe uh, suggest how people could get in touch with you if they'd like to. But is there anything that you think I should have asked you or you'd like to say? Uh, well, just quickly going back to your uh, the comments about the pattern and you sort of uh, sort of manoeuvring that around, not manoeuvring, but you know using that as a as a way to to get on to talking about self-build. Uh, going back to passive, and that has, again, that's, you know, without wanting to um, talk about Germany too much, that has come from Germany and Switzerland, and we've imported quite a lot of those ideas, and there's, it's a sort of movement that's gathered momentum over the last sort of, let's say, five years in the UK, and people are really starting to pick up on it. And it, without um, going into too much detail, I think what we like about the general idea of passive house. Uh, it's, just a, it's just like misnomer, really. But what we like about it is that it's um, put the certification to one side. We kind of like the discipline of building in that way. You know, it, it, it's sort of, it's constraining in one sense, but it's, um, but it, it almost, uh, it, it means you're unable to deliver a bad house. <laughs> as long as you stick to the rules, whereas the rules we use at the moment, which are, you know, planning and building regs, are too loose and too sloppy, and people are getting away with, um, you know, building poor quality houses, you know, too quickly, too badly, I would say. So I would say we, you know, we have to import a bit of that model into the into the mainstream. So I didn't understand passive houses, you know, and I did manoeuvre it. So talking about self-directed builds, so apologies for that. So yeah, a big up for passive house uh, movement then. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll make sure I get my head into it and understand it a bit clearer than I did. So thanks for, for bringing it into the conversation. 
Um, gentlemen, it's been it's been it's really interesting to talk to people on the ground and, and hear not just the um, promising side of things, but also the challenges. And I think that came out really a little bit in the conversation. So I do appreciate your honesty and uh, and sharing your 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 thoughts and, and your experiences. And um, maybe to um, signpost people uh, who might be interested in, in in building their own grand design. Who knows? Um, how would they get in touch with you? And uh, and if they do, what what's the best sort of thing to say when they do? I think the, the best thing is just to go to our website, which is uh, greenheartuk.com. And um, there's a newsletter on there you can sign up for, just have a rummage. And there's some interesting projects on there, lots of nice pictures. And um, just send us an email. We're only a small company. Yeah, I've seen that. You've, got, you've won a couple of awards as well, I noticed. So um, um, We have over the years, yes. Yeah, <laughs> modest. You didn't mention it yourself. I thought I'd say so. For <laughs> you. Okay, gentlemen, it's brilliant. Um, Richard and Malcolm, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I, I think I'll, I'll draw a close there. Um, I'll, I'll push this out in the next couple of weeks and uh, look forward to getting a reaction from everybody else out there. But thanks for joining me today. I really okay. appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Thanks, Richard. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so it's always good to hear the warts and all take from, uh, from people delivering on the ground. And there is tremendous promise and indeed a growing demand from several sections of society, including the general public, for some of the more sustainable building materials and alternative building methods. Yet there is still a way to go with some of the other stakeholder groups before we can truly say that the future is fully upon us. But here are some of the key themes that I thought came out of the discussion I had with Malcolm and Richard right now. First of all, sustainable building can marry the two worlds of the green ecological agenda to the property investors' commercial agenda. There is often a business, a business case rather, that supports this drive as well as pure environmental considerations. Some trends they have seen, uh, that's, that's Malcolm and Richard, um, with alternative building materials, include a drive towards timber frame buildings, SIPs or structure, structural insulated panels, along with some complications with some new materials such as hempcrete and how difficult that is to, to relearn a skill, if you like, as they mentioned. Europe is leading the way with these alternative building methods, and we are slower to adopt them in the UK. So, for example, they, they mentioned 10% of additional development land in Germany on the fringes of towns being allocated for self-build, and indeed the passive house movement, to, to name just two examples that came out of our discussion. And the lead times and the cost of imported materials do actually hamper the full rollout of the, in, into the UK as well currently. Next, we have prefabrication and modular building methods, which are on the increase and will most likely be a significant growing trend as well. They can ensure greater quality, reduce build times and indeed reduce costs as well, allowing better houses to be built more quickly. There are growth sectors in self-build, potentially using the passive house energy efficient standards, self-finish and build to rent. Uh, will all help to drive greater adoption and a longer-term view of the business case as occupants and owners will have a greater vested interest in a building's running costs than just outright house builders and developers. 
There is a push and pull with this agenda, of course. Some of the stakeholders around the property market can hamper progress, such as the large house builders looking to build low-cost units to a minimum standard for maximum profit. Then we have the banks looking for short-term gains or a payback on their lending. Planners limiting new build development and surveyors not signing off potentially on certain building methods and materials. However, the general public want decent, affordable and energy efficient homes at the same time. So there is a demand, just not an organised and coordinated one as such at the moment. New build therefore will lead the way as retrofit or refurbishment is simply harder to do on an economic basis at least. However, if we're building around 200,000 new homes a year, it will take quite some time before we make a real dent in the approximate 25 million housing stock, residential housing stock that we have in the UK. So let's just say it will be more about acorns than oak trees for a little time yet. We have and continue to make progress as seen in improvements in building regulations, the Renewable Heat Initiative and the Green Deal along with pro-climate change commitments from the government. So there's quite a lot going on, there's quite a lot that's happened. And I think sometimes when you're in amongst it, it's kind of difficult to, to lift your head up and actually recognise how far we've actually come. But these things are coming, there, are, there is change. I'm seeing a lot of news stories uh, almost on a daily basis, perhaps I'm looking for them now. But uh, of these sort of new technologies, building methods and building materials being used, being adopted and uh, an increasing demand and implementation. Needless to say, if you would like to get in touch with uh, Malcolm or Richard or indeed anybody else at, uh, at Greenheart, then um, perhaps uh, you might want to invite them to do your own self-build. Uh, then the easiest way is to visit their website, which is uh, greenheartuk.com. And you can get their full contact details from there. All the links are in the show notes or just drop me an email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net and I'll point you in the right direction anyway. So as usual, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And of course, if you want to talk about anything from today's show or get an introduction to any of my guests uh, or just, just chat about property, you can email me again, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And I'd be delighted to hear from you. But for now, all I want to say once again is thank you very much for listening. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.